0: It's good to have friends, is it not, Mr. Garibaldi? Even if maybe only for a little while? To conclude our deal, we will have sex human style. Mm. You sure? You do know what this entails?
1: Of course. Ignorance is a, an inferior trait.
0: That's what I thought. You ready?
1: Good. Oh,
0: oh! Boom shov'el lubba lubba, boom shov'el lubba lubba. Hey there, hey there. Three bags full. You come here often? Yes, I do. Dinner shov'el lubba lubba, drink shov'el lubba lubba, kiss 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 kiss. Grab! How do you like it so far?
2: Oh,
0: I... I slept with you the other night. You didn't call. You didn't write.
2: I think you did it just for spite. Oh, yes. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes! Tell me about your portfolio, oh yes, 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 yes! Lie to me about your family, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes, yes,
0: yes, yes! 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 Oh. God, you good! What do I do now? Uh,
2: also? You roll over and go to bed. New Star, you go out for pizza and I never see you again.
1: A galaxy engulfed by war. This place is a powder keg. Threatened to tear the station apart.
2: This ends now!
1: On an all new Babylon 5.
3: You have transmissions holding.
4: Fetch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode.
0: Purple files accessed.
5: What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the Breakhouse. house.
0: out there podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are a group of newbies and first ones who are either watching the show for the very first time or have watched the show way too many times we are here today to talk about season two's episode acts of sacrifice i am scott and with me is Mike, john
6: kevin Mike, emily andrew
0: justin and nicole before we get started let's again remind everybody you can find us at twitter facebook instagram all linked down below if you're listening to this on the podcast version we do have a youtube version and if you're listening to this youtube version we do have an audio podcast as well again all linked down below and if you can help us out we have merch listed as well as our patreon account so you can go there and help us out through any kind of number of donations any donation would get you into our discord which also includes a beyond the rim spoilers discord which has been rather active lately and then also if you can go all the way we do have our gray council our producers and they are listed in the description below and thank you very much to our producers who are absolutely helping us to grow this channel kevin please read us the synopsis for acts of sacrifice
4: jakar asks sheridan and delen for help from their respective governments in the Narn centauri war which the Narn are losing. Ivanova shows a representative from a new species around the station.
0: Oh, yeah, she definitely shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and start with our first impressions from our newbies. And we'll go over to John first. First impressions on Acts of Sacrifice. Um, I
7: didn't hate it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I enjoyed this episode. Um, I mean, it wasn't crazy, crazy, like, coming of shadows, but um, it was pretty good. A little hard to watch just because of my boy Londo. I've never felt the for him in as much as he simultaneously was so pathetic and such a sad sack in certain instances, and then still managed to redeem himself a bit with his help at the end. Um, but it's also hard to feel too bad for him because in a, he's in a mess of his own making. And so there's a part of me that wants to say, well, this is what you get. And there's a part of me that really wants to yell, like, how could you not understand the consequences of your actions the way he, he, you know, was like, oh, but we're still friends. And so anyway, so I enjoyed it. It just made me sad for my Londo stand. Um, but it was a good episode.
0: I'm noticing a pattern that every time Londo appears from now, from this point forward, you continue to say, I feel more bad about Londo than I ever have. <laughs> uh, I'm going to spoil something for you and say, continue on that path it's not, it's not that I,
7: I felt bad for him. I, you know, we'll talk about his sad. He doesn't have any friends that made me feel sad. And then he just had this patheticness, just stink to him that made me feel bad that that was like that. But also again, it's his own fault. So I just, I'm waiting, Scott. <laughs> I'm waiting.
0: I will say, we posted that we just hit 75,000 plays, and David, one of our most active audience members, said, maybe by the time you get to 150, John will see uh, a redemption or something for Londo. And I'm like, eh, I think we'll get to the 150,000 before John's going to feel good about Londo. It's just just a thought, just a thought. Hey,
7: he's got a new look. He's looking sharp,
0: so. Yep, the man in black. <laughs> okay let's go to emily first impressions on acts of sacrifice
2: i really liked this episode and to be honest this is probably like the best sex scene i've ever seen it was phenomenal
0: you need to watch better porn ma'am
2: nope i don't want to watch that i want like the truly just awkwardness and this was so awkward it was amazing
6: (laughs) andrew first impressions I thought this was a, a pretty decent episode. I thought it was a really great uh, character episode for Jakar. There was a lot of development that happened here uh, uh, where we kind of got to see him start coming into his own as a kind of uh, this leader of the Narn on Babylon 5. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much all I have right now.
0: Justin, first impression.
1: I mean, to me, it's the best episode for Jakar to date, in my opinion. Andreas does so well in this episode of conveying every possible emotion uh, from hope to despair to pure outrage. And I was just emotionally following Jakar the entire episode. And even when he's really hopeful that maybe he'll get some help and he'll be able to save his people to the moment that he's you know, in the hallway, like, looks like, I guess, if if a Narn could sob, that's probably what he was doing. And then to the point to where he's raging against his own people to stop the violence. And it was, I absolutely loved him in this ep- in, in this episode. And, you know, another thing that was actually very interesting to see is the, as the title of the episode would show us, there's a lot of sacrifices that happen during this episode from Jakarn and the Narns to you know, the sacrifices that Londo ends up having to make knowing nothing's ever going to be the same again. All he wants to do is to have a few moments with his friends and have things be the way that they used to be and his realization that that's never going to happen. And from even, you know, poor, poor Ivanova and the sacrifices that she has to endure during this episode. So it was definitely it was it was a very enjoyable one for me.
0: Nicole, first
5: impressions. Well, this is quite the episode. Yeah. <laughs> um... You know, it's funny. I kind of agree with what John was saying. Um, I feel really conflicted about Londo because in a way I feel sad for him too. And you can see that like, basically he's just empty and sad and lonely, but also he kind of fucked himself over a little bit. You know, it's kind of a conflict of like, I feel bad for him, but also you made your bed. You got to lie in it. You know, it's kind of like that fine line of like empathy and tough love. But then uh, Justin, you hit the nail on the head with Jakar. Um, I actually I know I talked a lot of shit about Jakar in the beginning, but this episode, I really feel like I've really turned um, a corner with him and and his performance was amazing. Obviously, it's not that he's not a good actor. I just didn't like his character. But this one was really showing. It's, it's like you said, Justin, he went through all the gamut of emotion of, um, you know, what he's going through. Um, And then just with the whole like episode itself, I thought it was a good blend of some comedy and comedic uh, things with Ivanova and the weirdos, uh, Lumati, whatever their names are. Um, And uh, then you have the, you know, Narn and and Centauri war storyline. And then there's the Sheridan trying to keep the peace, but also like trying to find a way to, you know, still help them without, pissing off his government so you know and then delen was involved so i feel like this episode had a really good healthy dose of every character uh and i have to say i'm probably gonna get shunned for this one i kind of liked franklin in this episode a little bit too i thought he was uh pretty good in this one so uh overall i think it was a really great episode and um it was really, really enjoyable to watch you will only get shunned by
0: those who are wrong because there are people on this show who are wrong about Franklin. Let's go into our first ones. Blake, what do you got for first impressions? So I really like this
8: episode and a lot of you have mentioned that it's a strong episode for Jakar, but I really think this is one of those episodes where Londo shines as well. And with the development of that character, uh, JMS even commented on one of the fascinating parts with Londo as a character is fundamentally, this is a guy you want to like. You don't want to see this path that he's going on. You know, John, you're living this now. You don't want to see Londo going on this downward slide into everything that he's doing. And I think one of the ways they write Londo though, is they keep doing these stories like this one, where you get that little bit of humanity. You get that thing where he wants to help his friends. He wants to do the right thing set against this larger backdrop of the trajectory that he keeps going on with this, you know, downward slide, as he's getting more power, more prominent, but these, he's still got this little bit of humanity that, you know, people like John want to latch onto that. This is still a guy you want to like. So I really think this is a strong episode for Londo. And we commented earlier on that. I think for season two, some of the best scenes really do come down to uh, Peter and Andreas with these two roles, just the emotion they put into them, the range that they play with these roles, uh, particularly in this season is really strong. So it, it's a good episode, I think, on character development, but I, I actually think this is a better Londo episode than a Jakar one.
0: Mike, first impressions.
3: What I'm to say that hasn't already been said. Um, the A-plot in this episode is is fantastic. I really love the exploration of both Londo and Jakar and kind of where their individual paths are leading them as a result of the Narn Centauri War. Uh, and I really like the exploration of you know the the plight that the jakar is in basically looking like having to, having to try to do the best possible thing for his people but looking like the bad guy to his people in the process is is a really complex thing to explore and and i think some of us have maybe been there before right i've i've worked management i know the deal uh so it, that part of it was fantastic you know the part of it that i did not care for was the b plot i i kind of loathe when they take these super serious super well-written a plots and pair them with what is comedic re- comedy relief nonsense that really killed it for me i mean there were parts of it that were kind of funny i did appreciate uh well at least one of the scenes with dr franklin uh interacting with the new aliens i'm gonna call them the Malnadis i have no idea shout out to chicago uh but uh the second <laughs> half man i you know it, it the, the whole sex scene thing was just like, just fast forward. I, it was kind of funny, but like just took me out of the episode that was otherwise great. So yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a, kind of a mixed bag.
0: Kevin, talk to us about the sex scene.
4: No, thank you. I, I was also not a fan of that scene. It, 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 it was, it was oh, a, too silly. You proved um, It was a little too much gibberish. Um, i i can't even imagine how um claudia christian could have you know done that it it just it the whole thing is just silly i but she wanted that though because i am i'm impressed that she was able to get through get through it and do it in the way that it was intended because i don't think that if i had been the the actor in that scene that i would have been able to do that well but as far as as far as the rest of the episode, I really in, really enjoy that scene with Sheridan and Jakar because it shows the uh the good acting that Box Lightner is able to do and really gets to a lot of the the dynamic between him and Delenn and him and Sheridan in this episode is really interesting to me as well so I I agree with Mike I like the a plot the b plot didn't offend me until the end so
8: well the thing with the b plot though because and Claudia even mentioned in the interview we had with her at at season two when they started that she went to JMS and was like I want you know don't change the character don't change where we're going but she wanted more funny things to do and this is one of those things he gave her when she went to him and's like, I want the character to be more funny. I want there to be something else in there. So this is kind of Claudia getting what she asked for.
0: So let me tell you why Kevin and Mike are wrong. This is one of my favorite Ivanova scenes in the entire show because it allows just for Claudia Christian, as Blake just mentioned, to just have fun. And after reading her book, this is her kind of fun; she just likes to have this kind of absurd moment, and I absolutely adore how the reactions are in that scene between the two aliens and her and the the little guy at the very end just kisses her on the hand and just walks out with a giggle i uh, is there of all the Ivanova scenes i think I think I have three scenes that I can top that think in my top of my head right now. And you guys have only seen this one so far, but there it's in my top three Ivanova scenes. And when you see the other two, you'll know. But uh, in terms of the entire episode, you guys have already hit on it. I think this is a very important episode for Shakar and for Londo. And I will talk about all of it, but it's it's a very good episode. I enjoy it a lot. And I think this, and the Lurker's Guide actually had an editorial note about this. Uh, this is really the first episode where we start seeing the dynamic shift after the start of the war i mean yes we had gropos and you you guys had your feelings about gropos but we're starting to see the dynamic shift here we're starting to see that the narn the centauri the earth alliance mimbari the vorlon and the league of non-aligned worlds is getting strained and they're starting to have to make decisions about who they're going to support and who they're not and that's important moving forward let's go into the episode john you look like you're ready to chew your arm off so go for it well i
7: I will save the conversation for Ivanova's uh, big scene, but I really wanted to talk about something that I feel like Mike and I might be the same person. He just doesn't want to admit it yet because his entire review was,
3: Oh, dare you. <laughs>
7: <laughs> was a lot of what I have in my notes. Part of feeling so sad for Londo was the dichotomy that we saw in this episode between both of them and how they lead and how they actually lead and what it means to actually be a leader. Jakar, this was his best episode as an ambassador, you know, Theoretically, these other three are supposed to be ambassadors, and there's not a whole lot of them actually doing politicking and ambassador work, but Jakar really puts the rubber to the road and goes to everybody looking for allies, tries to negotiate, tries to do its best. And in the end, Bright just says like, okay, I can't use this to my advantage. I can't personally gain anything out of this, except for the fact that my people will be better off and better served for it. So I will do it. And Londo has been almost the exact opposite and says as much this episode, I just wanted people to respect me. I wanted to have the appearance of all of these things, but I'm only willing to do the most dastardly shit to get it done and then wonder why people don't want to be my friend anymore. And it's, it's such a contrast And this episode highlighted it so much that it did have me going shit in team Londo versus team Jakar. Did I pick the wrong side? Son of a mother, like damn it. Jakar looked fantastic in this episode. Londo,
0: did not and it it bummed me out one of the things i love about the theme of this episode and actually ryan from yum yum pointed this out when we had uh, a discussion about on our 30th anniversary show is people start feeling payback for what they've been doing londo sits alone at the bar even though he's very sad and we feel bad for londo londo had it coming he has burned every bridge he has so he's gonna be sitting there at the bar waiting for somebody to have a drink with him and no one's gonna do it And Jakar, and Justin, you pointed out this scene already, Jakar weeps at the end because he realizes he has burned every potential bridge for the Narn because he was so concerned about violence and about rebellion that at the end of the day, all he can get is a little bit of side support because no one's going to come and help them now. And actually, it goes back to that Franklin scene that a lot of you dogged on. Franklin told him the exact same thing. All it takes is one person to stop caring about vengeance. Unfortunately for Shakar, he waited too long. Mike, what do you got?
3: You know, I think the thing about Londo is I, I still do feel bad for him, but I think watching the way that that his his portrayal uh, plays out, you know, I don't think he's a guy who like does bad shit. And then he's like, well, how come nobody likes me anymore? I think he's 100% aware of why nobody likes him anymore. And I think that the, the, the quest for respect and power is like a drug and he he's completely aware that everything he does is going to continue sending him further in that spiral but he just can't help himself he keeps doing it anyway
5: nicole so um another thing i was just kind of thinking about listening to john and mike talk where um the thing that londo said i wrote it down because i thought wow that was pretty much sums up exactly what's going on with him is that you know, he wanted respect, but now he's a wishing well with legs. He's got all these quote unquote friends that come out of the woodwork that he never had before. And everyone keeps asking him for things. And then, you know, that guy basically bribed him to look into something. And he was like, well, all right, I'll I'll make a call or whatever. But like, I almost felt like it was begrudgingly, you know, and I I think Mike hit it on the nail on the head when he said that he just keeps doing it he doesn't know how to stop you know like it, it it's kind of like the floodgates have been opened you know but then on the flip side with Chakar when he wanted to lend to speak to her he said that hatred is what kept the narns alive and fueled them but then she said well it's also you know hatred's going to destroy you essentially so i feel like they both it, it, that dichotomy is really perfect because they both kind of like made these mistakes and you know, they both have have done things along the way where it put them both in a tough position and you feel for both of them, but also they kind of brought it upon themselves. So it's hard to really almost like feel empathy for them, but also at the same time, it's like, how can you not feel empathy for them? Because they're so likable. And it, it is almost like completely opposite. Like John said, the contrast is so interesting because Jakar, I feel like at the end, he realized, oh shit, like you said, Scott, I burned my bridges. But Londo knows what he's doing and he knows he fucked up and he just keeps doing it. So at the end, when he asks Garibaldi to sit with him and was like, you're my only real friend, Garibaldi even was like, well, nobody likes you right now because you're being a dick. At the end, he goes and talks to him and sits with him. But like he, I think Londo's, understanding the gravity of, of his choices and it really is kind of impacting him but almost like it's almost like somebody who who keeps doing something that's self-destructive but they don't know how to stop or get out of it i feel like that's kind of londo right now
0: well and jms made the same point on the Usenet back in the day somebody asks, is uh jakar laughing or crying at the end and jms says a little bit of both laughing at the absurdity crying at the situation and then he says we are watching Jakar on the er- uh, verge of a nervous breakdown, which makes a lot of sense, Justin.
1: Well, and that's one thing that I was going to allude to is your this episode is a story of two men who are at the end of their ropes for very different reasons. Delondo um, to me is at the end of his rope because I think Nicole, you said it perfectly. Um, he is he's very much weighed down by the gravity of what he's done. And he doesn't see a way out. It's that self-replicating, self-destructive, you know, uh, behavior. And it's so he's at the end of his rope, basically going, I've done all this stuff. I think deep down, he probably regrets a lot of it. At least I hope I would hope he does. But at the end of the day, he feels powerless to stop it. Um, Even if he wanted to, he probably couldn't change anything. But and then Jakar is, you know someone who's just trying to hold it together. And you can tell from that scene that we've alluded to in the the hallway where, you know, he's, he's openly weeping. He's a man in deep despair because not only the survival of his race, but just trying to, you know, hold himself together personally long enough to do his job and to the point to where he's, at, at one point, he, he I think he understands exactly what Dylan is saying, because at by the end of the episode, he's having to beat the shit out of one of his own people um, in order to stop acts of violence from happening to the station going. You guys are harming our our cause more than you're doing good. This has to stop and this has to stop now. And if you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to make you listen to me. And I agree with John that that's this is probably finally we get to see somebody do being a true ambassador whereas advocating for their people to the other races but then kind of putting your own people in check when you have to so again it's it was such good character building um in this episode that i i absolutely love love what's going on with this one
7: john so i actually want to push back i i actually very much disagree that Londo knows what he's done in terms of how it will affect other people and what his standing is. And I think you can see that in a couple of, a couple of the things he says. Um, right. So when he talks to Garibaldi, he was, he very offhand. He's like, Oh, I would never do that to you or the others. As if like, you guys know, we're friends. I would never hurt my friends. I would never hurt you guys. These are other people. This is some shit elsewhere. Like why are you worried about them? They're just narn. And so I think there's a real disconnect between like, I think he, he um compartmentalizes that, right? Like that's darn shit. That's you know, we've been fighting the narn forever. They said they want to destroy us, we want to destroy them. Like, don't worry about that. Like, I have to do what I have to do. But here in Babylon Five, we're all still friends. Like, you know, I like you, you like me, you sit for a drink, you pick me up when my gambling debts are down. Like that's That's his mindset. And perhaps it's a rationalization to get him to be able to do the shitty things that he's doing. But I legit think he believes that everything on Babylon 5 would be fine. His friends would still embrace him. And it is a shock to him. It is a gut punch that it turns out that no, they can't separate it like that. That it's not compartmentalized like that. Your actions have consequences. They don't know who this is not who they thought you were. They thought you were the fun-loving guy who gambled and drank and and you know had a good time. Now you're you've taken a path and it has repercussions. I think it took them it's taken him by surprise. And I think at the end when he turns back and says like, you know, of course I would do it for you. Of course I would do it for you. I think he's trying to reiterate like, no, no, we're friends. What I want to do, whatever it is to get me back in the light. You guys had me before.
1: Yeah. I think oh, you're right, John. That's a good point. And,
8: and some of that, John, and, and we've said it before, as you is you go back and especially if you rewatch again, the episodes we've already been through, there's been an undercurrent of this series from day one Of various tensions of, you know, looking at Londo and his, looking at Jakar's desperation. I mean, he's always kind of had this desperate attempt to make his people where they would not be enslaved again. And then you've got Londo, and it's really starting to become clear that, uh, to your point, you know, he's got this casual lack of concern around the killing that's happening with the, with the Narn and what his people are doing, and he's detached himself from it. Uh, with what he's doing on Babylon 5. He just sees it as, yes, this is happening, but it's the Narn. It's not my friends, it's not the people I'm here with on Babylon Five. And he's just got this, you know, cold lack of caring about who it is affecting. And, and it starts to kind of bubble up and it really becomes more apparent and obvious here. But these underlying pieces with Jakar and Lando and their lack you know londo's lack of concern about the narn as well as his absolute belief that the centauri will defeat the narn i mean that he's just got this absolute belief that you know the centauri will completely defeat the narn and doesn't care what that means Mm -hmm. because again he's so detached from it that these are these other people it's that othering thing and we kind of touched on that a bit with gropos you know when we talked about what does it take to go into these war situations and it, it is that complete othering of an enemy And it comes to play here with this as well. Mm
5: -hmm. Nicole? Something Blake just said also made me think of the fact that, um, you know, when uh, it was supposed to be Jakar and um, Sheridan and Londo talking and Garibaldi about, like, the conflict or whatever – um, how Londo didn't show up but made a statement saying that it wasn't women and children on that ship and it was weapons. And like, basically, like you just said, he, he just completely detaches and doesn't care. Like, it's almost like it's like not really affecting him. It's almost like out of sight, out of mind, if that makes sense. Uh He just completely, I feel like detaches and just doesn't care about like, you know, and obviously we don't know if it was women and children or weapons on the ship, but why would they lie about, like, why would they sacrifice their lives for weapons? You know what I mean? So I, I feel like Lando's kind of just like, yeah, whatever. F the Narn. I don't care. Like, you know, uh, it wasn't really people. It was just weapons and it was this. And he basically just completely took everything that Jakar said in um what's the word I'm looking for? Negated it. John.
7: Yeah, another thing I thought was interesting and, you know, will hopefully play out further as we get along was, um, you know, the other Narn who was causing issues and, and killed um, the other guy, you know, had made mention about why don't you go back to your, your human friends. And that's two species now, both the Minbari and the Narn that have, that have, basically told their ambassadors in so many words, you're too friendly with the humans. Why are you butting up to the humans? We don't like the humans. You're, you know, you're betraying your own kind, essentially you're, you know, we don't want to have any of that. And so um, I don't know if it'll come up further, but we've seen what that's meant for Delenn and her standing amongst the Minbari people and, and her potential ambassadorship, which a now trying to actively court the humans as an ally um, I wonder how much further he'll take that and what kind of um, repercussions we might see from the rest of the Narn if that ends up being the case as well.
8: One question, just so I know we have a couple people on here in the music. Did you catch who the guest star was?
7: No, I did not. I, did not. I was, I was going to mention it. Oh. It was Paul to.
8: Williams who had quite a few uh, hits with songwriting and a few of his own. Actually,
7: there was a couple of good guest stars. A couple of that guys like to call them um, the other earth force commander whatever his rank was um i've seen him in a bunch of stuff he's played a military guy in about a two dozen plus uh, things every time i see that dude he's some sort of general and then uh the other guy i saw on seinfeld the, the centauri merchant was on seinfeld and on the west wing i've seen him in a couple and a bunch of stuff too
3: yeah i know the earth force guys his name is uh Glenn, I think it's Glenn Morshower. Morshower, Morsh- yeah. He yeah, 24. he plays basically the same character in everything he's in. I don't yeah. know if he's actually yeah. a former military guy or not. But. He is, yeah. He
4: was on 24 a lot. That was what he was known for the most.
7: And I don't know if this is a question, really, so much as a, I don't know, how can they possibly keep, because it's a point of the, the A plot is, you know, he says to Jakar, if you can't keep your people in line, you know, I can't have them. There's going to be a powder keg. I mean, how can you possibly have a war declared amongst two species and still allow them to interact? I mean, I understand you can't really take sides and say, okay, Centauri are allowed, Narn aren't, or vice versa. But it seems problematic in and of itself to allow those members of those species to just freely be among
0: the everyone else on Babylon 5. You, you have that all over the place, though, right? I mean, we have Ukraine and Russia now a year in and there are plenty of places all over the world where ukrainians and russians live in the same country uh, i don't know of any like examples of violence on that one but there's been other ones before i don't know what you can do with that you just tell them to get the hell out just boot them off the station which is what potentially could have happened if jakar hadn't dealt with it but i don't, I don't think it's, it's a
7: bad it. idea right if you say the ambassadors are allowed because the the peace is the mission so you let the ambassadors hang but no centauri no Narn, non ambassadors are allowed on the station i think sheridan would argue that's a slippery slope though
0: and much like he's pointed out several times is this is a place of peace and this is where we're trying to make peace
3: jacquard basically points it out that the guys that are making trouble aren't military they're civilians and he basically tells them if you want to make trouble go sign up for the army like go Mm -hmm. back to narn
0: yeah i was uh I was fighting for my revolution when you were a pouchling. They are Fields.
3: Yeah, I think it's certainly problematic, and there's no way around it. But I think at the same time, as long as they're not military personnel taking the fight officially to Babylon Five, there's not really shit you can do about it but let it happen and try to tell everybody to behave.
0: Andrew, what do you got?
6: Yeah, did Zach Allen mean to kill that one Centauri?
0: No, because I mean he checked it at the right there. At the he's like he's dead.
6: Narn yeah it was
0: a a narn. he didn't he didn't mean to kill him he just needed to stop him I mean that was lethal force but he had hoped that it wasn't going to be a death shot
6: oh okay so I, I wasn't sure if maybe those what are they called the PPGs or mm-hmm. like if they were like Star Trek phasers where they have different settings or
0: no nope, no they uh, we've kind of hit on this a couple of times but the PBG is thermal and the reason why it's not projectile because if you hit a projectile in a 10 can start space station could cause a problem if you hit the hull so it uh-huh. shoots out uh, i believe plasma i think and so it's heat based
6: so he was like in close range so it, yeah. it, it was an instant kill yeah.
3: okay he didn't have plot armor like sinclair did when he took a shot to the shoulder
0: or garibaldi <laughs> shot in the back yeah
3: meanwhile uh what was it the oh, god I forgot the, the character's name. He, uh, David Warner, his character.
0: <laughs> he just didn't want to live anymore. <laughs> took,
7: took
3: a shot take, of take the, the arm and immediately fell over dead.
0: <laughs> take it,
7: Jinxo. Take it. I, you know, we talked about it a couple of times. I don't, I, maybe Emily, I think, is, has agreed with me. I wonder what your thoughts were on Sheridan's treatment of Jakar this episode. Because he's been a bit rough with him it's felt like sometimes uh he's been very confrontational i know it's a little unfair because of the show right we get to see things that not every character gets to see so we get to see that it was the centauri who started they were the ones who were at fault but it you know again it seemed like sheridan jumped in and and kind of took the everyone's to blame so everyone's getting punished and really laid into jakar which felt a little unfair
2: yeah I actually put in my notes that Sheridan better have had the same conversation with Londo after he had his little chat with Jakar. Cause I mean, it was a conversation that yeah, needed to be had, but I, yeah, again, there's just something about his handling of it that just didn't sit well with me. But I mean, as long as he's treating Lando the same, because you. He, I can't imagine they don't know that londo's doing a lot more than he admits he's doing like you know but you don't know um so yeah i i kind of had feelings on that one kevin
0: i
4: kind of hope it's one of those situations where you know the first part of the conversation you know he got the woodshed and then you know on the way out kind of like picard does on star trek um that you know on the way out he's like you know and and by the way let's him off the hook just a little bit but I agree completely Emily I he did say I'm sending Londo the same message but you don't get to see it so you're not sure if he was as hard on Londo as he was on Jakar but I think he knows that Jakar cares more and he's got more to lose and so as rough as that conversation was I think that you know, you've got to do for for Jakar what he needs to be able to take take this situation and make it better. And I think that's exactly what Jakar needed to hear as tough as it was
0: in that moment. Mike.
3: Yeah, I want to say I, I, I'm sure that Sheridan would <laughs> give Lando the exact same speech, uh, but kind of circling back to somebody else's remark about Lando kind of having a certain cold detachment to that whole situation um you know i think they, they didn't they basically say that londo didn't go talk to sheridan about anything he sent a memo that was his statement about what had occurred and what the centauri's official stance on it was so it kind of makes me wonder if he can't be bothered with it or if he knows he's gonna get yelled at and doesn't want to go get yelled at or what what that situation is but well, and We've seen that a few times where he's he can't be bothered to
4: show up for a meeting. He's obviously less engaged than than Jakar is, um, regardless of whether Sheridan had that discussion with him, which I agree. I hope he did. But um, Jakar is definitely more engaged. And, and again, I think he's got more to lose.
5: Nicole? So while I do agree, I think that um, Sheridan was a little rough with Jakar. I almost feel like he was matching Jakar's energy in a way. Because if you think about it, the first time we saw him get really aggressive with Jakar was when Jakar was about to go and like kill the guy and like kind of like lost a shit, right? And then in this same instance, you know, Sheridan and him kind of butt heads. And I, like I said, I think Sheridan is really firm with him, but also I think Jakar kind of needed that tough love. And I really feel like they're matching each other's energy and i, I don't think it was like a, i'm gonna pick on you jakar it's more of like this is the only way that i'm gonna get through to you is by screaming at you and getting aggressive with you because that's your nature that's like how he exactly is is portraying you know his emotions <clears throat> you
0: know i i have to completely agree with nicole on this and i've been waiting my turn but you i must just be a terrible boss and that's quite possible true but you have to communicate to people the way it works for them, and we've seen through Franklin and we've seen through Sheridan a couple times jacquard's got a thick skull, like physically he does and also metaphorically he does to get through to him, you have to be more aggressive in your conversations, much like he is an aggressive individual so the i we can't treat everyone with kid gloves. Sometimes that works if you're having a conversation with Londo for say you're probably going to treat him with more kid gloves than you are and you uh, aren't your and This is about the third time you guys have kind of had an issue with how people have conversations with each other and it's I just don't see it. I mean, I, I, I respect your opinion on it, but I don't see it I think these are worthwhile conversations that make perfect sense and Get the point across and they're actually making a difference Franklin's conversation with Jakar a few episodes ago moved him in this direction. Sheridan's conversation with Jakar a few episodes moved him in this direction. Sheridan's conversation with Jakar this episode moved him in this direction. And we're seeing it with the scene in the hallway where Jakar walks out. He's finally starting to get it. And if you don't beat him over the head with it, he may not get it. So there's, there's a time and place for niceties, and there's a time and place for telling you to get your shit together. And these guys are telling Jakar to get his shit together. John, what do you got?
7: Well, I wanted to switch it to everyone's favorite doctor. Um, so uh, let me start with the good, which was, I actually thought unbelievably, it was an amazing scene when he was uh, in the, uh, the med lab with the Lou Malnadis.
0: Mm, pizza,
7: <laughs> because that was, that was just on a platter for him to be the dick that we all know and despise and really lay into them with a, how dare you and highbrow it. And he didn't. And I was unbelievably impressed and thought if this Franklin had been in my life for the first season and a half, I would have an entirely different view of him. And then of course, Franklin came in and did exactly what I thought he would do and said, Oh, you have to have sex with this guy. And then made a bunch of inappropriate jokes and I was like oh there he is I just they when I thought just when I thought, friends. friends yes
0: my god people like we is, don't make inappropriate
2: jokes is
0: it, it, tw- yeah. it, it 22 is it because it's 2023 I mean I'm legitimately and actually some of our commenters on YouTube have brought the same comment and I uh, is it because we're just you know more advanced 30 years later that we can't have conversations with women that are it's somewhat not, not professional
7: it's not the end of the world. it is a bit of levity. I understand again they're friends but it's it it is a part of today's culture right it's the, some things just don't age well it happens but it's also I don't know they also are co-workers right They also are you know there's a professional level there that I don't know I to be honest I'm probably nitpicking and just trying to hate on
0: Franklin a little bit but again I already said I'm probably a terrible boss so I'll claim that. But my deputy director at one of my jobs when I was the executive director for several years – we had uh me male hi and her female we had a lot of conversations where it was like probably i would go to hr but we are friends we knew we were having these conversations we both consented these conversations and it usually was in good jest and usually with the whole team around so they could stare at us and go what the hell is that so it's you know it just depends on the situation I, i i feel like we're beating up on franklin because it's cool to beat up on franklin now is what I feel.
7: Listen, I've been beating up on him from the beginning. And I have said multiple times, it's his attitude. This, like the comments and the creepy stuff, like whatever. But no, 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 his character, his jackassery and holier than thou stuff. That's the issue I have. But I, I will have said my piece and I'll move on from Franklin. Hate.
5: Nicole, who are you going to hate on? Nobody. I actually left <laughs> <laughed> my, <laughs> I actually left my ass off at that scene. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, I'm a big proponent of inappropriate humor. Uh, so for me, I was cracking up cause like the look on her face, she was kind of like, I will kill you. Like, but she let, la- like, she thought it was funny. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was, it was a funny scene between two friends, uh, you know, making jokes and, and, you know, here's the thing. Maybe I'm, I don't know, I, I, I as a woman, I, if I, one of my friends said that to me and I was in that position, I would laugh and I would zing him back. You know what I mean? But that's just me. And that's my humor. So I get how maybe, okay they work together. okay, whatever. But like you have those people at your workplace or in general that, you know, you can say raunchy stuff to and make bad jokes and inappropriate stuff. And then you have the people who you would never, ever say that stuff to. But you know who your people are, basically. And I feel like they know that like. Because if you think about it, both of their jobs are so heavy all the time. So the fact that they have a moment to be funny and make a joke like would I do, I really think he would give her a roofie or give her some drugs to fuck this dude. No, but I mean, I can see why John thinks he's a smug little prick, because sometimes he is, you know what I mean? So he's kind of like the guy you love to hate, you know, I I, I don't know. I like Franklin, but. I might also be outnumbered here, too. Like, yes, he is a creeper. He's done some things that are a little wrong. But overall, like, I don't mind him. Yeah, I I didn't have a problem with that scene. I thought it was funny. Kevin.
4: Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with nicole moore I, I think i think we're picking on him a little too much um that that scene he's clearly trying to make her feel better and you know feel feel better about a bad situation i mean it's not a it's not a serious suggestion at least not the first one uh with the paper bag maybe the second one okay you know i can inject you with something so that you'd be sick and can't do anything that seemed more serious um but i i laughed at that scene and you know we we got a franklin franklin is written uh in a problematic way in a few uh, you know, in few instances and i and i would be the first one to jump on that but this episode is not one of those for me Justin. Yes. so i have
1: to be honest um i i really don't think john hates franklin all that much and i'm gonna say that because it's at Right around the time that John had to hop off the uh, the Ivanova hate train, then he immediately crossed platform 69 and hopped on the Franklin hate train. So I really think this is just him changing trains in his ultimate journey because I don't hate Franklin. I don't see really your point a whole lot in this, John, except just to hate on something for the sake of hating on someone. So we'll see who the character of the week is next week. But I think Franklin's an all right guy.
0: Someone finally said it out loud. It's great. <laughs> John. Hey,
7: I think the next character is going to be Justin. Um, well, since we're talking about that, uh, I wanted to get into a little bit of the B plot um, only because to Mike's point, again, this is why we're the same person, Mike. I'm just going to keep saying it. until I make it true.
3: I thought Franklin was a, Officer and a gentleman in this episode.
0: (laughs) Uh uh Now I want Lewis Gossett Jr. to kiss her.
7: (laughs) I enjoyed the B plot for some of the comedic moments, but I also thought it detracted from the A plot and didn't give me anything other than a couple of unnecessary laughs. And again, in, in an A plot that we had such amazing acting and writing and the plot moving forward, we had so much happening for it. it felt, every time it came up, it felt like a distraction. I was like, oh, I don't really I don't care about these guys. I OK, great. Ivana was on another diplomatic mission. Like it, it felt more sidelined than I, I know you said she wanted to do some um, funny stuff as an actress, but it just felt at odds with the rest of the episode. That's why my favorite Babylon five episodes have been where the A and B plot feel more synchronous and not so Dich- like just it was it was too much and the the sex scene well i don't know how <laughs> what we want to say uh, i will say this it was funny in some instances super distracting and also almost as repulsive as garibaldi's
8: well i think though we've seen in this show before though this kind of opposites of the a and b plot i mean i'm thinking tko for example you've got on the one hand the mma fight juxtaposed against uh you know, Ivanova sitting Shiva with her, for her father. So you've kind of got these opposite type plot points that kind of marry up together. And I think this one, you know, you've got this B plot that is comedic to the, to the absurd, but, you know, listen to with Jakar in there about, you know, the absurdity of where he's at and asking for help and what he's getting, you know, he's not getting the warships. He's not getting the fighters. What he's getting is leftover food and medical supplies, but, He's still happy about it. So I I think it's the way they play with these A and B plots is kind of that juxtaposition of what's happening in the A plot and kind of that opposite in the B plot to kind of heighten it a little bit.
5: Nicole. So the one thing that pissed me off about the Lou Malnati guys is that they were basically assessing if they were a worthy um, race to to like speak to and be present with and this and that. What the fuck makes them worthy? Like, who the fuck are they? Like, get off your high horse, you stupid weirdos. You know what I mean? Like, my question is, what was so special about them? I mean, besides having another alien race that maybe Earth can can align with. But other than that, what was so special about them? What the hell is their kind of sex? I'm very curious. I know I got a line here, but I'm just going
0: to throw it out for the Star Trek fans. Was this a shot at the Federation's prime directive? Andrew, I wasn't asking you, but you're up next, mm-hmm. so go.
6: I was going to say I could see that, but uh, no. So uh, one thing that kind of struck me with uh, the Lumati was that the translator bore a strong resemblance to Zathrus from all the way back in Babylon Squared.
0: Mm-hmm. So... That,
6: was actually,
0: that was actually brought up on the Usenet, so you were not alone. 30 okay. years ago, people saw it too, and JMS said he is not the same race as Zathras.
6: Damn, so that goes takes away one of my predictions.
0: Sorry okay <laughs> he just, he's done i'm out
7: john what do you got so i will say the only benefit that i think the b plot really gave me was it was nice to see that the shittiest aliens of course gravitated towards the worst part of fucking capitalism and really that was the the clincher for him the seal the deal that humans were in fact not inferior because they treated the worst like trash so um that was probably the funniest thing i saw in that part of the the episode Justin?
1: Well, when I was first watching the episode and that whole sex scene happened, I thought, why the hell would that even be important for anything to like seal any kind of deal? But then thinking about it more, I realized it makes perfect sense for a race obsessed with human or with, with any kind of evolution. You know, you have a race that is very much, you know, all about genetic superiority. Well, then what better act to talk to, to promote genetic superiority than the act of procreation or whatever. So I just thought it was kind of something I had to think about for a little bit before it finally dawned on me that, okay, yeah, it would make perfect sense for these idiots to, you know, oh, well, we have to seal our alliance with the sexual act. And you know, because you're just as superior as we are and let's be friends. And it was just, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was cool to see, you know, Ivanova have fun and sow her oats a little bit, I guess, but overall it was kind of weird, a weird situation.
0: I'm man, we're going to use nets hardcore tonight. So JMS mentioned that too. Uh, The idea of sex ceiling deals is nothing new. And I quote, it's been a part of treaty signing and stuff going back to ancient Egypt, other parts of the Middle East, even parts of medieval Europe.
3: Emily. Pretty sure. Vladimir Putin still does it.
0: Ew.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh Eat it, Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you
4: for that image,
3: Mike.
0: We're going to get hacked now. <laughs> you can, our YouTube account will be dead because Russian hackers are going to have fun. Thank you. Emily.
2: I thought this uh, new species was really interesting and bringing in the whole topic of eugenics without saying eugenics, but it was eugenics, was kind of an interesting way to go about it. And I actually got really frustrated with their ambassador because he kept talking about, you know, you get rid of certain genes and everything and all... And as someone who's taken biology, obviously not like a specialist or, you know, know everything about, I was just like, okay, but one of the main things, issues with evolution is when you get a bottleneck effect and you've whittled the gene pool down too far, you will eventually end the species. I'm like, so what this guy is saying kind of sounds like that's where they would be heading which doesn't make sense if you want to keep your species going because you think you're that superior and i was also curious what traits they have that they feel make them so superior like i didn't see anything particularly spectacular about them so i yeah i was very annoyed (laughs) by this by him in particular justin real
1: quick were they were they communicating telepathically yes or okay i I didn't know if they were communicating telepathically or if or if they had or if the um assistant or translator was just speaking for him
0: no because there was a couple times there where the translator actually like oh and like is like obviously hearing what the guy wants him to say. Okay. Like the first. That's kind of what I thought, but I wasn't 100% yeah, sure. The first time they show him, he actually kind of leans his head in and is like listening. Like he's listening. And then answers. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't like, I'm just going to assume what my guy is going to say. It's, I'm translating. Gotcha. John. Yeah. I think Franklin calls it a symbiotic relationship as well or,
7: or makes mention of it. But um, Emily, one of the things they do have going for them is that they can change the music. So we've talked about music a couple of times. And when homeboy said he's down to clown, the, the score went super frantic and super crazy and super menacing, which I thought was an excellent choice for, for that. scratch. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: a couple of things on the sex scene. Cause we we're we're here. Uh, first off, those of you who think it wasn't funny, you're wrong. And I stand behind that. It's amazing. And again, to Blake's point at the beginning, Claudia told us, She felt that in the last season two, she was just having to say, so-and-so ship is exiting the jump point, and -and so-and-so ship has docked. This is her being able to have fun. Now, JMS did discuss the sex scene, because of course he did. So he said, and I quote, As it happens, I made it a point to be on set the day we shot the what we ended up calling the Ivanova dance, wanted to make sure it was done correctly, we only had to shoot it about three times, only in the master, no coverage, the crew was absolutely breathless after the first time from keeping from laughing, it was very funny. And then somebody had to ask, well, Sheridan is usually the guy who takes these people around, but he is letting Ivanova do it to get training. And so somebody asked 30 years ago, because why not? So if Sheridan had been the guy who took him around, would Sheridan got the offer? And JMS said, and I quote, to the question raised, yes. If Sheridan had shown the Lumati around, the request would have been made to him as it was to Ivanova. So they get down with whoever they want to get down with.
2: Emily. right? I actually appreciated how ridiculous her dance was because I was gagging as soon as she put his hair in her mouth. I was like, oh, this is awful. I'm not going to survive this. And then it got ridiculous. And I needed that to keep from like vomiting everywhere because, <laughs> ew, just like germs and texture issues. And uh... that that part was awful but i did enjoy the dance i thought it was very well done beat up
0: on franklin as you will but franklin got her to do this he was like you're gonna have to do something so she got smart and said well they don't know how we have sex so let's just make it up as we go and that's that's it's diplomacy it's funny it's great
5: nicole yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was really clever how she just kind of made something up. Uh, The putting the hair in the mouth was pretty gross, um, but like she came in hot. I mean, she looked amazing. All right. And then she was like kind of like toying with them and twirling her hair and, you know, clips. So, yeah. But like he has no idea what what human sex is. So for him. It could have just been holding a hand like she could have literally done anything and he would have not had any idea. So the fact that she just was so ridiculous about it and like loud and, you know, faking an orgasm like it was it was so funny and awkward and like almost uncomfortable, but also the ridiculous of ridiculousness of it. I was like, oh, my God. And then she looks so good. So there was a lot of a lot of Things going around when that was happening, I was just like, "What did I just watch?" It was confusing. Things you learn from
0: reading Claudia's book—that's absolutely not the first time she's faked an orgasm. <laughs>
7: well, she used his arrogance against him, which I thought was smart. Um, in terms of, well, he doesn't—it's not that he only doesn't know; it's that he will be too arrogant to say he doesn't know. He'll have to assume, "Of course, I know." You know, to to not know would be mm-hmm. inferior, and so mm-hmm. um, that was smart. Um, I will say the things that I did appreciate were the little like actual comments that she was saying, like, Oh, show me your portfolio. And and, (laughs) and, uh, And at the end when she was like, well, now what happens? And she goes, old way, you roll over and go to sleep. New way. You go out for pizza. Never call me again. (laughs) Little stuff like that. I think now those were gold. That was gold.
1: (laughs) She captured the art of human courtship perfectly. Within yes. that entire dance. Uh-huh. And that's you know, honestly what I what I actually loved about it was listening to her talking about, oh, then you're gonna not, you know, call me in two days and stuff like that. And it was it was great. I like that part.
0: The cynicism there is wonderful too, because this one was written by JMS and JMS, again, reading his autobiography, him his experience with relationships is I can understand why he'd be cynical and sarcastic. That's I can understand. Mike <laughs> I mean,
3: what's going on with the diplomacy to like that these races know nothing about one another apparently (laughs) as if we haven't been blasting skidamax into the universe for like 400 years at this point
4: (laughs) unless franklin figures out at the very last second everything about that race Right before the, the <laughs> twist is shown, they know nothing about each other.
0: Why you got to bring up believers? Why you got to bring that up? I don't know. <laughs> I mean,
3: and I guess the other thing I want to say is, well, two things, actually. One, I thought the dude's comment about like, uh, I'll, I'll check on you in a couple of days was pretty funny i did legitimately laugh at that and secondly i want to believe that the little translator dude was like in on it yes, the way he yes. Was, yeah, yeah he's like this fucking guy good one. <laughs> yeah. like, good
1: one. like
0: every peon he knows his boss
2: is an asshole
1: <laughs> he knows what happened he knows what she did yeah, he, he seemed
2: guys... really impressed by her ability yeah. his little and knowing giggling. that it was crap <laughs>
5: nicole I just want to know what that little gift he gave her was at the end when he said next time my way. <laughs> it made me think of cone heads with the the, the rings they put over their heads because that's how like they had sex. So is it like a, uh, a wind, hat. a wind <laughs> catcher like, yeah. it, it? you know, like that's what it reminded me of, like, a you know, put outside wind chimes, you they know, just
7: cuddle and take a nap.
5: Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, it was
7: like maybe it, a cup
0: for catching things. I lose my shit every time she reads a note by the way next time my way
3: <laughs> I don't think they were going to snorkel the Garflax
2: <laughs> Emily okay did he steal her pajamas
5: yes because yeah. Yeah. Like,
2: yeah. I was like D- you don't just steal her pajamas those were nice pajamas they were blue they were silky they were pretty they looked good on her we've seen that pair before I know we, we have. have it was the same with Talia but I was like, who the fuck steals your pajamas? That's creepy.
0: A pervert. I, w- I want everyone to take a moment. Emily can't remember where she sees the ranger outfits, but the blue skimpy PJ's, she remembers where she saw those.
2: Hey, those are pretty jammies, and they looked really good on her. So yeah, I'm going to notice that a lot more than some dude in She can almost name
1: the time. She can almost name the timestamp on that one.
7: Jesus. Yep.
2: I'm like, I'm the only one here that can. No.
7: No. Yeah, Emily, you need to find Jesus. We're all good, upstanding, wholesome people who don't appreciate.
2: He's hiding from me. He doesn't want to be found.
7: Do not get this thing struck by
2: life yeah.
5: and let's be real when there's a good pair of pajamas on this on the line you know where they are like every woman knows a good pair of pajamas is like clutch
2: yeah i mean they could have had pockets and that would have just oh, been
5: yeah i would have ran his ass down and took him back <laughs>
0: right i feel this is a great time for questions and predictions what do you all feel <laughs> Okay, I, don't know. I,
8: I don't know. Our viewers love our other random conversations. I, I can't wait to hear what they think about a discussion of
3: jammies. Yeah, tune in for Emily and Nicole's jammy review uh, coming next week. <laughs> <laughs> so
4: we're we're clearly devolving in front of everybody.
0: We're finding pajamas and Jesus all at the same time. It's You'd great.
5: It's that. all I'm going to say.
0: I still think it's a dick hat. <laughs>
5: you know what i just imagined are you talking about a lou
1: malnati's version of a cocker in here jesus no jesse's
5: little dicks that go on adventures wearing that hat with the things coming (laughs) that's what i just envisioned an animated dick wearing that hat
0: on that note let's go into questions predictions so for those who are just joining us for the first time i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) but our newbies are but you can be (laughs) our newbies have not watched ahead and our next episode is hunter prey we're going to have them tell us any questions they have lingering after watching acts of sacrifice and then any predictions of what will happen after this episode and then we will eject them out the airlock and Mike Blake Kevin and I will answer all their questions once they can't hear it so let's go into questions predictions and let's go to Andrew first questions predictions All right, so uh, uh, prediction against the odds,
6: the Narn will win, quote unquote, uh, this war uh, with them being a more sympathetic side and Jakar's newfound leadership capabilities. And we'll skip my other prediction because I was assuming that Zathris was a Lumati. Sorry, Uh, one of the pizza boys. (laughs) uh, And then, well, we kind of already talked on my uh, other question, which was what was that thing that Ivanova received at the end of the episode. Dick hat. Dick hat. Okay. We'll
0: go with that. Oh, much like this episode where you're falling apart at the end. It's great. Uh, Let's go to Nicole questions,
5: predictions. Question is homeboy going to come back and try to, you know, regain his way with the Vanova. I hope not. Also another question is um, the conflict that Jakar had with the, um, other Narn where they, they basically battled for authority. Is that going to cause additional conflicts or problems for Jakar with the Narn? I know that they're not military and they're civilian, but basically he had to kind of put them in their place. And I, I just wonder if they're going to revolt or it's going to be a a conflict that's going on, you know, going forward. Um, Prediction wise, I don't really have any, I don't think at this time. Um, Just those two questions. Yeah.
0: Justin, questions, predictions? Well, like
1: Nicole, uh, my first question is, is, is Ivanova going to start getting uh, you up text messages from uh, from the, Lum- from the Lum- Lumati guys? I keep on wanting to say Lumonatis because we've been saying that the entire night. But um, so I wonder if that'll come back to come back to Hunter in the future. Um, second question, uh, Will would this lead to greater humanitarian efforts on the part of B5? In terms of the uh, in terms of the war, um, and how will that affect the um, the balance of uh, power on the station? And then, lastly, how long will the fragile peace on B five last between the Satari and the Narn factions? And my prediction is not very long.
0: Emily, questions, predictions.
2: So I had two questions. How is Delyn actually going to be effective as an ambassador if she doesn't have the support of the Gray Council? Because usually, you know, ambassadors need the backing of their governing body. So if she doesn't really have that, how effective can she be in getting anything done? I mean, we saw the Narn on the station struggled to respect Jakar. So how much say or sway does he really have with the Narn population, not just on B5, but back on his home planet? like, does anyone have confidence in his abilities or do they think he's too friendly with the humans
0: and John questions, predictions?
7: Um, yeah. First a uh, big shout out to Garibaldi for being the rich little of his generation with that Lando impression. I thought it was pretty spot on. It was pretty good. My question is, I don't know if it's even a question or a prediction, but you know, I know earth didn't want to get involved and pick sides with the Narn or the Centauri but will they, will they eventually be forced to, we've seen them in Gropos, right? If there's a strategic advantage to it, like all humans, or I should say mostly the U S has shown it uh, specifically um, if they can gain something from it, they will. So um, when will they jump in? I think is really the question more than will they jump in to Delenn's question to Dylan questions um, much like Emily, can Delenn even help Jakar? right? I mean, it seems like she's worried about what she can and can't do. If if she had wanted to give Jakar and the Narn any sort of actual help, no matter what that would be, would she even be able to do it? Um, the other question I have was, so I don't know, maybe it was just me, but there was a weird way that the Len, when she was talking to Sheridan, asked about anything else. And I took that one of two ways. And I'm curious to know if I'm reading way too much into it. I was curious to wonder if she was worried or wondering if he, if Sheridan had any other news about her position. So if like, Hey, do you know anything about where I'm at? Or the second part was, was it something more personal and perhaps romantic based on that dinner they had previously? Now she's come, now he's come to her bed chambers and she just loves banging Babylon five captains and Sheridan's up next. So um, I would like the answers to those questions. Predictions. My prediction is I'm actually worried that Londo will be more isolated. If his friends don't embrace him, he will feel entirely more isolated and lean into the villainy a bit and just go full on, fine. If this is who you think I am, this is who I'll be, which I really, really hope I don't see because it will really make it hard for me to be Team Londo. And I'm going to, my prediction is actually the opposite of Andrew's in that I think the Narn will actually be almost totally eliminated. And I think that they will be the um, kind of sad story of the Narn actually getting got in the end anyways
0: and with that we'll go ahead and wrap it out for the newbies we will have them return to us when we talk about hunter prey next week a reminder to check out our twitter facebook instagram all of that good stuff and make sure you hit that like and subscribe button And if you're on youtube click that notify bell as well because we do we do a lot of lives now and if you want to check those out hit that notify bell so you're told when we are going live so until next week I have been Scott and with me has been Mike John
4: Kevin Mike
0: Emily Andrew Justin and Nicole have a good one and stick around after the credits if you want to be spoiled
7: all right on that note boss. I'm up. <laughs> later <laughs> all right yeah
1: I'm gonna go to bed too later everybody You're Right, everybody bye see ya
0: thank you for listening to Gray 17 a Babylon 5 podcast you can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening to or watching this podcast. Gray17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respected copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube.
4: And what's out there? The rim. And
7: beyond that? The truth.
0: Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, final warning, if you do not want to get spoiled and you haven't watched the entire series, you should hop off now and come back after you have. But those who want to stick around, we're going to dive into these questions and predictions of the newbies. So let's get into the questions first, guys. And the first question we have is, how much can Dylan actually do because of her removal from the Great Council, along with that, is Sheridan D- Delenn's next object of affection.
8: I would argue she can do more now that she's not on the Great Council. And, and we see her do that when she somehow shows up with her own fleet of ships.
0: Yeah, I think the guys are reading into the Great Council too much, which I, I completely understand. I mean, we've been told that this is the ruling council, but we've also gotten hints throughout the Grey Council is kind of on their own. I mean, remember that one Warrior cast member said that they just fly around their ship and never really connect with anybody and all that. So, uh, they, these guys also thought that she was thrown off the Grey Council nearly a year ago, and now she has been thrown off. So, I think they're just kind of continuing that assumption.
3: That is that is actually another a really good point because I mean, even I mean even for me, I've seen the show all the way through at least once if not twice but obviously less than the rest of you guys but it it it's even difficult for me to wrap my head around sometimes the fact that the Grey Council is not the be-all end-all but the show does do a pretty good job of continuously reiterating the fact that, that they don't control everything I mean when Nehru, uh, when Nehru, Nehru. showed up in the last mm-hmm. episode I mean he basically said if we knew the truth behind, behind why the Grey Council said mm-hmm. the war should stop we wouldn't have fucking listened
4: well and now that she has some involvement with the Rangers who are you know eyes and ears of of the galaxy or at least a significant portion of it she's going to be in the know more than she ever has been even when she was on the Great Council.
0: Now I'm, Mike I'm glad you bring up the Ne thing as well too because I, f- I forgot to mention this and I can't remember what episode it was from I think it was last episode but I may be wrong is I I find it intriguing that Delenn says when she's talking to the Grey Council that she saw what happened when people got bloodthirsty when in fact, as we're going to find out in both an episode in season four and in, in the beginning of the movie, she was the one that was bloodthirsty. She was the one who absolutely started the Earthmanbari Bari war by saying, kill everyone, kill them all. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to the, uh, I'm looking forward to the newbies realizing that, yes, as we just said, the great council is, 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 isn't as impactful as they think it is, but also that Delin is more powerful, than they ever imagined. She could have been the, enti- the 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 dictatorial leader of the Mimbari, and she chose not to, but for the Inf- Earth-Mimbari War, she was just that. They just don't know that yet. And Will, Dylan, and Sheridan smash, yes. <laughs> and I, I got nothing.
3: Yeah, I generally think Nicole thinks any two people that appear on screen together are gonna ship. So. <laughs> you no, know,
0: I mean, Nicole's a little perv, and that's fine. She's like the little guy watching the sex scene, it's fine. Uh,
4: will this lead to more humanitarian efforts from Babylon 5, and how will that affect the balance of power on the station?
0: Yes, and a lot. Yeah. And, We're gonna see some, that, oh, go ahead, Blake.
8: As I was gonna say, and some kind of unexpectedly, because we'll have Abraham Olinconi.
0: I love that, It shows that up so much. Veer's redemption comes much yes. sooner than Londo's. Yeah. This is kind of why I was hitting on the whole, is Veer culpable? A lot because Veer finds redemption quickly, but also it's going to get B5 in trouble, too. They're going to start Mm -hmm. smuggling uh, weapons and smuggling supplies out of B5 and letting it happen, and that will come back to them down the road.
4: Will the Lamadi come back and try to consummate their relationship with Ivanova? No they're never
3: nope. seen again. I actually think this is really funny cuz they're specifically worried about whether they're going to come back and Ivanova's plot is going to continue but not one of them seems to be remotely convinced that the, the Lumani are relevant to the Babylon 5 story at all. <laughs> yeah, they all have is... learned at this point that any characters, any races in the B plot don't mean shit.
0: <laughs> but they haven't though Mike cuz every single time we get the questions predictions they ask every single time, is this character coming back? Is but, this race coming back? But not back?
3: this time. They didn't ask if the race is coming back. They just want to know if they're going to come for Levanima's yeah, Tale. That's, true. that's, that's true. it. Yeah,
8: they they so literally want to know I if they're going to come. That. End of story. that, that, that
0: <laughs> is.
4: The I,
0: I, I, I am really surprised, especially with Emily, who I know is a huge Trek fan, that no one wanted to get in the whole conversation of the prime directive because, I mean, yes, the eugenics part is absolutely not part of the prime directive, but the whole we let people live and die based on where they're at in technology and having decision-making being done by them and we stay away is very much the prime directive, which has been discussed a lot on Trek, a lot.
3: Yeah, I don't I don't see that connection here. I mean, I, I, yeah. I see the line that you guys are trying to paint, but I don't, think it was part of the intent i think they were really just trying to paint these guys dicks
8: well (laughs) it even came up on lurkers uh 30 years ago and it never really got answered and i I don't think it's a swipe at it i I mean i think you can see it within it and maybe an inspiration for a little bit of it um and maybe pointing out the occasional arrogance of it Mm
0: -hmm. which star trek does too
8: yeah which star trek does too so i I don't think it's a underhanded or swipe
0: No, and I don't think it was either. It's just interesting to see the connection there. And JMS, you know, for all the, you know, B5 versus Star Trek stuff, JMS is an unabashed fan of the original series. And his wife worked on The Next Generation as an intern. So their Trek bona fides are pretty solid as well, too.
4: Well, if anything, it has a little bit more... um relationship to the shadows viewpoint on things whereas you know conflict mm-hmm. is the best way so i think i think that's a better connection than it is to star trek's prime directive
0: but wouldn't they be the Vorlons at that point because they don't want conflict they just want people to evolve as they will
4: yeah it's not a perfect comparison yeah i, get what I see you're what
0: doing. you're saying though i see what you're saying though how much sway does jakar have with his people at this point
8: but i think he's doing pretty well but we're going to see some continued conflict until really uh after the centauri have occupied narn and jacar goes and says i need you to get the rangers to get me a message and that that kind of solidifies him i think pretty well at that point
0: mm-hmm. i i think we're seeing the advancement of Jacquard as a character from being again the mustache twirling villain to now being somebody who truly is trying to protect his people and help his people to being an icon at the end. And I know, Mike, Jakar is your favorite character. So what do you have to say about that?
3: I mean, I can only say that we've seen Jakar as a character. There have been a couple of good episodes where we've seen him get to do a lot and, and have a, a, a big swing in his emotional range throughout an episode. This one felt the most natural to me. I definitely think it's, it's him. It's showing him maturing as a person and as a leader. Whereas, you know, I think the last time we saw a big range, there was the really beautiful stuff with him and the Centauri Emperor and, and his kind of swing between joy and redemption and then trying to throw a guy through the ceiling. Uh, but this felt way more impactful, way, you know, way better acted to me.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that also comes down to... um debatably andreas Katsulas is the best actor on the show i think there's some several who could be debated in that top echelon but you cannot deny that andreas Katsulas is one of the best in this mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. and the fact that he has to do it through all that makeup just makes it even better right. now that we've talked about the narn let's answer the predictions from two of our newbies and that is one says the narn will almost be completely annihilated after the war the other one says the narn are going to win the war one's wrong
4: one's right sorry andrew
0: yeah sorry I, I i hate to say it but john is right on this one
4: yeah when those mass, mass drivers, drivers are, yeah
0: the mass drivers are a- coming
8: is there a way we can phrase that without admitting that john's right
0: <laughs> those who believe that <laughs> are not gonna win <laughs> you, you get the cookie
4: well he's not gonna know for quite a long time that he was right so oh, good
0: <laughs> you know i mean it If you watch the episodes and you really kind of read into what's going on, it should be very clear the Narn have no chance, even without the shadows. The Narn have no chance.
3: Yeah, I feel like you we know? pretty much saw it in this episode. I, yeah. Th- we saw military action this time with just straight up Centauri ships. There were mm-hmm. no shadows present anywhere. And that Narn yes. cruiser knew that it was doomed.
4: Well, well and yet the- they're the ones that declared war. You know, it... You're going to let somebody take out a No, colony? of course not. 200,000? Yeah. It's just, it's just a shame that they they had no chance and that... I don't want to say they started it because clearly they didn't. But they're the ones who made it official
0: yeah, only um, on paper, I, but yeah, I hear what you're saying.
4: Well, and I
8: think some of that is, and from the line of one of the Narn on the station, you know, as far as they view it is they won. The, they got the Centauri off their world. But as Jakar points out, there's a difference in a war where, in a conflict where you literally just make the Centauri throw their hands up and say, this isn't worth it, and they walk away versus an outright military victory. Yeah, And you know, we've even seen some of that with Earth in this show where... Um, how many Earth people with Earth are you know we won the Battle of the line, we beat the mimbari, no even the memari quit. They walked away. It wasn't a victory wonder but you still got how, that mentality?
3: I do have to wonder how much action has taken place where the shadows maybe were involved that we just haven't seen. I don't doubt that you know logistically speaking if the if the Narn went from being completely and utterly oppressed. There's no possible way that they re- rebuilt and retooled their entire society to be able to stand up for the Centauri. But at the same time, if the Centauri had enough might to go in and just punish the Narn from the get-go, it, it makes me wonder would, would they have ever given up. I, I have to think things were on somewhat of an even in footing at some point.
8: My well, but- understanding is before the show, the Narn were not spacefaring. Or before the Centauri invasion of Nar, yeah, they,
0: they were agricultural based civilization. Then the Centauri basically invaded them a la Independence Day.
8: Yeah, so everything they've built, they have basically built in resistance
4: to the Centauri. My apologies if we've talked about this before, but do we have an idea for how long the Centauri have been gone from the Narn homeworld at this point?
0: 140 years roughly because mm-hmm. it was the emperor's father and the emperor has been emperor for 30 years. So I think it's been about 40 years. I would I think, I think that was mentioned somewhere.
3: That's interesting. Then so we're saying that at best, the, the Narn scrambled and acquired tech from everybody. They could, every place they could get it from. And they did their level best to put together. They military.
0: were Afghanistan. They were
3: never going to win. Hmm?
4: Yeah. There, that is quite a, quite a comparison.
0: Yeah. there. I would they agree. were absolutely Afghanistan. They fought a war of attrition and kicked the Russians out and the Americans out just by waiting it out. Um, Now, of course, you know, they were agrarian for a reason. They fought the Shadows a thousand years ago and got stomped. That's why they had no tech. That's why they were not really spacefaring or a, a large civilization, because they got wiped out by the shadows. I mean, we'll find out with the Book of Jaquan that all of their telepaths got killed by well, the shadows.
3: And and yet they're big enough to be one of the one of the big five on Babylon Five mm-hmm. and not just a member of the non aligned. Well so
0: I'll make another allusion then to Germany after World War I. Germany after World War I was completely just economically devastated. But within one generation, they are the biggest power in the world. And it's because they militarized and they moved quickly. And then when you become a military power, you can have a bigger vote. But I think you're right, I'm like, I think if, it, if they had developed on their own and the Centauri had left them alone, they'd be sitting there with the fish lady
3: yeah oh it's very it's it's all very interesting to think of the timeline and 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 just how the 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 power levels kind of Mm -hmm. might possibly compare to one another versus what we're seeing you know
8: part of that dynamic too is we'll find out later is the narn helped sell weapons to earth during the earth Mumbari war Mm -hmm. so earth probably would have propped them up for a council seat as well
0: yes that's true that's true they did they did make friends and that's not our friends so let's move on to our last prediction, which is how, oh, I'm sorry. There's actually two. So first off, Lando remains isolated and he'll become more of a villain.
8: Yes. Sorry, John.
0: <laughs> it's going to take a while Bounce. it's going to take, it's going to take about uh, 23 years for, for Lando to finally not be the full on villain. I mean, he'll have moments. Uh, I, I think to when Adira is killed by the shadows and Lando snaps out of his I have to do this for my people stuff. But even then, he still transgress- transgresses back to being the Londo who feels like fate is demanding that he be whatever he has to be for his people. So we're going to have an ebb and flow of Londo for sure. As David pointed out on our Twitter, he said, you know, maybe by 150,000 plays, uh, Londo will be redeemed. I don't think so. I think we're going to hit 150,000 plays before Londo gets redeemed. And so the last question or prediction is: How long will the fragile peace on the, peace on the station last? And the prediction is not that long.
4: Well, you know, since when when the Babylon Five breaks away from Earth, the uh, the Narn become basically the security force or the backup security force for the for the station, and there really isn't a lot more strife uh certainly by that point between the two races i don't remember too many other instances besides this episode of strife between the two but i could be wrong what do you guys say
0: yeah there'll be an ebb and flow i think there'll be several episodes where at least it's discussed but i think what it comes down to is this this narn centauri war doesn't last long enough to become a problem right The the, the mm-hmm. narn centauri war is going to be ended by as we just discussed the the centauri's complete and total devastation of narn and so we're gonna move on to the real war which is a shadow war and then obviously the earth civil war but even the earth civil war we're gonna see again some conflict like night watch and everything else but really for the most part we never see the fight come to b5 like fully we see some conflict but never like it's a front in the war yeah like, am I forgetting something? Or I think that's right.
8: I think that's right. Because I mean, there'll be the I think the biggest thing is uh B five will shelter that uh Narn cruiser at the start of season three. Yes. Yeah. And the Centauri shows up and there, you know, there's the conflict there, and then that leads to a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's conflict after they break away from Earth with different uh terrorist groups and some of Earth loyalists causing some havoc. But oh. that's relatively contained. There's not like any large scale
0: Yeah, and part of the reason is that because Sinclair and Sheridan did their job and made B5 truly this neutral territory that the League decides to defend B5. So Mm -hmm. they put up a blockade around B5 to make sure that nothing happens to it.
3: I'm having a vague recollection of there being like an invading force coming to Babylon 5 and, and the Narns security force fighting them off what am i thinking of or am i making it up
8: that's when they break away from earth and the in clark's forces show up to like take the station Mm -hmm. yeah the narns are defending the station at that point because they do board the station during that that's like the one
4: major conflict
0: yeah it's pretty quick
4: yeah and if you if you limit it to just the you know narn and centauri really that uh, Narn Cruiser is really the only other instance.
0: Mm-hmm. Anything else you guys want to add about this episode before we wrap it up?
3: You know, it kept bothering me in the in the first half of, of this, and I think it's you know maybe worth saying. But uh, B five, as always, is continuing to kind of remind me of our current political climate and the behaviors of certain people. um You know, somebody mentioned othering, and I think that is absolutely relevant all around the world, not just in our in our country here. Um, where more and more all the time one political party tries to other members of the other political party um and and kind of along those same lines of the narn that jakar has to put in their place you know it's like everything jakar is telling them makes total sense and there's nobody that wouldn't think that it does make total sense if they think about it but i think there's a certain attitude of you know people thinking with their hearts and not their heads and uh, that happens here you know i think people are more than happy to know and go along with something that they know hurts them in order to quote unquote get a win and that's another thing that seems to be really reminiscent or or, or it's really <laughs> reminds me of our current climate I, I guess is what i'm trying to say yeah.
4: i know we've talked about it before but it's amazing how relevant this this show remains i mean you could even make some some allusions to you know the russian ukraine conflict uh with this too it's just jms it, it, his his writing um is really really special and there's just no other there's no other good way to put that that i can think of um you don't find the overall arc of a show this good
8: I think that's from the league conversation. Uh, So Summer from, you know, the one of the original Babylon 5 podcast was talking about this, that when she was watching this show originally, it resonated as references and inferences to history. And one of the things watching it 30 years later is it's relevant to current events that are happening now. And that JMS, I believe, has even commented somewhere along the way that he didn't make this as an instruction manual and that people who have claimed to be fans of it have taken the wrong lessons at a certain point. So it's just interesting. And I think that is why it's still relevant and still watchable today. You can relate it to things that are happening now.
0: And we absolutely see this. I mean, we, we have back and forth with our with our audience on the social medias on YouTube, where we get pushback uh, on a lot of these things. To your point, Cheney was one of the biggest fans of Babylon 5, Uh, said so to JMS. But I think why this show stands out and why it continues to be relevant is JMS wasn't afraid to piss people off. He wasn't afraid to make these connections and these, these statements, and he knew some people were not going to like what the show has to say and that's fine. And to this day we get into fights about what is Babylon 5 really saying because if I if I still like the show but I don't think uh, it agrees with me, what do I do about that? Well, you watch the show and you learn from it or you complain about it. One of the two.
3: Well, it's fun to point out we we get some disagreement sometimes when we do outright state that oh this group is reminiscent of this group in our <laughs> current climate. <laughs> And, and we'll get pushback on that from certain individuals who say, no, it's not that group. It's this other group. But the point is, whichever group you think it is, and there's a right answer. But, <laughs> uh, you know, somebody is still seeing the relevance yes. there, right?
0: Yeah. I got into a little side debate with somebody on Twitter yesterday, and they had listened to our By Any Means Necessary podcast and said they were done with us. And so I asked, I was like, well, can you mind me asking why you decided to check out? Because they didn't say why. And they said that basically we were wrong on labor unions and the like. I'm like, okay, well, I can respect that. I can respect that you're saying that we're wrong on this. I don't understand why you're shying away from a discussion and debate, but I respect that you think we're wrong. And we get that, but it's okay. It's okay to have these. What I would hope that is for most people, and what we need to learn as a country and as a world, is if you disagree with somebody... Talk about it.
3: Yeah, don't go to the echo chamber.
0: Exactly. Don't say that they're too woke and I'm done or don't say that these guys are, you know, all liberal Democrats and they don't, uh, they're they're anti-American. Have a conversation. Find out what makes somebody tick. You're going to be better off for it. When you completely check out, and also, it doesn't help us because you're not listening to us anymore. So stick around. But if they completely check out, you haven't gained anything from the conversation because you haven't had a conversation. Well, and by and large,
8: a lot of these conversations we've had have been, you know, respectfully disagreeing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the key to it. There, there is a difference between having a dialogue and having a discourse. And then some of the just vitriolic comments that we've had directed at other fans of our show directed at those of us hosting the show and, you know, contributing. And, you know, that's where it becomes not okay. And and those conversations, you know, we have put a stop to those. And it's sad that we've had to do that and that other podcasts in this community have had to do that, um, ironically enough, with some of the same individuals. And what we're heading towards, you know, we flat out said we welcome dissent. We welcome the discussion. Just engage with it and be respectful at it and that's absolutely something we need yeah. to fundamentally get back to yeah
4: because it's Completely. not like yeah scott's pointed this out many times but this this show does not shy away from politics especially okay. where we're going with night watch in particular although certainly not exclusively
0: yeah i am looking and again i said i i respect their 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 point of view on this i i'm looking at uh the babylon five for the first time guys because they're only a few episodes ahead of us and they have made it very clear that they do not want to talk politics on their their podcast. Understandable. I can't wait for Nightwatch. I can't wait to see how they thread that needle when they don't want to talk politics. And we have to deal with people wearing black armbands and Zach Allen having to decide if he's going to be a member of Nightwatch or not. Can't wait. It's going to be fun.
8: That's the point I even made in our group is I think if you I I can respect if the other shows want to shy away from politics. That's their decision. That's (laughs) their show and they're producing it. You know, personally, I think that does a disservice to the show, which is absolutely has these political themes in it. But I also think it's a disservice to the intelligence of the fans that can have these debates and that can have these discussions in a way that is grown up and constructive. The sad part is the reason a lot of these people shy away from these conversations isn't those that can have that discourse. It's those that want to show up, jump up and down, scream and yell that we're stupid, woke, liberal idiots, and then run out the room. Those are the ones that why we can't have these
4: conversations. Yeah. And as somebody who really wasn't sure about how to land on that particular issue, I am glad that we have landed on this, on going this route and not the other, but again, totally respect anyone else to make a different decision, but if that's not what was best for us.
3: Well, and yeah. And I, it's worth pointing out to anybody that's still listening by this point that we had a discussion about it. We had to decide whether we were going to take a stand one way or the other, how we wanted to filter ourselves and, and what the potential pros and cons were, you know, and I think the biggest con that we decided to just eat was the fact that we are inviting, you know, some some not great elements to come into our little community that we've built and we're gonna have to deal with that when it happens. And unfortunately we've had to do that a couple of times already and Lord knows it'll probably get worse before it gets better. But But we're as... do it.
4: <laughs> as a testament to this this community and the b5 community at large it's really not been a yeah. huge amount uh, and that's that's certainly not something you're going to find in every fan base
0: mm-hmm. and i will I will, and i will say that that we absolutely welcome the discussion, and the discourse, we have only—and I will flat out say this—we have only removed one person, and it wasn't because they disagreed with us; it was because they made personal attacks. So as long as you come in respectful and we have a conversation, we want that conversation on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram. We want that conversation. That's what we're here. We want to talk about this show.
3: Let's do it respectfully. That's all we ask. Mm-hmm. And ninety-nine
0: point nine 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 percent do. And that one guy—he knows who he is. <laughs>
3: There was two, but it was the same thing. both. there was they got personal both times. So they,
4: yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: There was there it. was the other guy. I put him out of my memory.
4: They attacked hosts and this and that, and it was it was ugly. Bye.
0: Not oh. all of our women are lesbians. Not all of them. Angry
8: will grant you, but the other one not. <laughs>
0: Okay, now that we've uh, lost about 10 subscribers, guys, let's go ahead and wrap <laughs> this up for the night. So again, next week, we'll be talking about Hunter Prey. And until next week, I am Scott, and with me has been...
4: Blake. Kevin. And
0: Mike. And you can send your hate comments to grey17podcast at gmail.com.
8: Attention. Or better yet, follow us on Twitter, YouTube, or Facebook, and yeah. leave your comments there for us.
0: I will, As long as you follow us, you can, you can debate all you want. Just <laughs> give us that follow and that subscribe. Thanks. We appreciate it. Help the channel grow while you hate the channel.
3: And I'm sorry if we all sound the same and like we're recording in a cave.
0: We are all Midwestern folks, so we all sound like we're talking out of our nose. I understand. <laughs> Except for Nicole, which
3: You or right over here.
0: Yeah.
3: It's true. John isn't actually a real person. He is a synthesized voice that we all just use to dump our horrible <laughs> thoughts into.
0: <laughs> See a chatbot? Yeah. That would explain a lot.
3: We use him to say the things that we don't want to get in trouble for. It's funny.
0: I, I love the fact that Justin finally called him out. Somebody said it. Somebody said. It. I don't it's even think great. you like you dislike Franklin. You just had a hate on somebody.
4: It's pretty great.
0: Okay. Have a good one, folks. Thank you
1: for the stimulating conversation, Doctor. You have some strange notions, but I'm sure
7: they will pass with time. Strange notions. I got your strange notions right here.